You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Sunil Shah, president of the Asian American Foundation, and Jerry Yang, a founding board member, joined the Post to discuss the new organization and share their personal reflections on Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Let's listen. Good afternoon, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Tracy Jan, race and economics reporter at the Washington Post. Joining us today are Sonal Shah, president of the Asian American Foundation and a former deputy assistant to President Obama, along with Jerry Yang, a founding, a founding board member of this new foundation, as well as co-founder of Yahoo. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Tracy. Thanks. Let's start with you, Sonal. You've, talk, you've spoken about both the importance of addressing anti-Asian hate, as well as belonging. Give us a brief overview of what led to the formation of the Asian American Foundation. Well, you know, in, two, in 2020, we saw a spike in incidents against Asian Americans. And Jonathan Greenblatt, who was uh, the CEO of the Anti-Defamation League, came to our, what is our board now to say, there's a lot happening here. What are you all gonna do? And our board chair, Lee Liu, sort of said, we have to do something and uh, called Jerry, called Pung, uh, called Joe Tsai, Joe Bay, and they've decided to create the Asian American Foundation because they knew it was an important time to do this. And this was a moment to bring everybody together to really look at the Asian and support the Asian American community. So well, the foundation has said it wants to address the underinvestment in Asian American communities, which we know is a sprawling diaspora in the United States. What are the needs of the AAPI community and what do you think is behind this underinvestment? Well, we are a diverse community. We are over 40 ethnicities and 20 Pacific Islander communities. We are severely underinvested in less than 0.5%, 0.5% of the resources from foundations go to Asian American organizations and communities, and less than 1% of corporate foundation donations go to Asian American communities. And I think part of it is that um, I don't, I, I think we have not been seen as a needed community. And what we don't understand is that we're a very diverse community with high income disparity. And it's easy to fall into the model minority myth where people just see us as one model minority and therefore we don't need the resources. But we are a diverse community with income disparity that's great, but also a need amongst many communities that are underlooked and, and underserved and overlooked and underserved. And we wanna make sure we can address those disparities. That's right, we'll get more about the model minority myth later on uh, this afternoon. Jerry, what role do you envision playing as a prominent member of the Asian American business community? And what role do you wanna see your peers play? Well, Tracy, thanks for having us. I, I really, um, think about this as something that we um, as a whole community needs to do. I've uh, been involved in our local community through organizations like the San Francisco-based Asian Pacific Fund, which is a community foundation uh, for over 20 years and seen the great work they do. And quite frankly, um, as Sona alluded to, uh, there are dozens of Asian American organizations that have been around for decades. Um, terrific people doing terrific things. And I think until um, recently, this hate, uh, anti-Asian hate and discrimination um, is something that really has brought all of us together, has really galvanized. 
uh, the entire community of 23 million Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. And, and I think part of the issue has been that um, we have not really understood our history of Asians in America. You know, it goes back 150 years to the Chinese Seclusion Act, um, to uh, obviously the Japanese internment, uh, to the Vietnam and Korean wars. They're always, when there's conflict with Asia, inevitably it seems like there is um, increased hate, increased discrimination, and, um, and, and we're not, we're, we're seeing the history repeating itself here. So as a business community, I would say that, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to speak for the entire business community, but I, I do think that we have seen um, a, an awakening. We, we've seen uh, various initiatives already with Stand With Asian Americans. Uh, we've seen um, some very generous um, initiatives that are raised by the venture capital community here in the, in the Silicon Valley. Um, and um, and our, our role, and I would say, you know, the, our, Tracy, our role is really to think about something that um, is here for generations, right? Something that we can, our kids and our kids' kids can really look at and say, there is an organization that is looking after all Asian Americans in America. I cover business and race, and I've noticed that a lot of these corporations that have spoken out and said Black Lives Matter are now also donating to the Asian American Foundation. And I was wondering, Jerry, do you feel like the tech community has stepped up in the way that you think it should? Yeah, you know, again, you know, the tech community is not just one community, but yes, I, I would say that given, um, if you look at where the, the employee base are, some of these tech companies have over 30, you know, plus percent of Asian Americans uh, in their employee base. This is a, 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 a large issue. A lot of our consumer companies who have Asians Americans as their customers. This is a, a big issue. So um, I do think the number of dialogues within companies have gone up. I think people are looking at um, professional issues. Uh, you know, there's a bamboo ceiling um, in corporate America where, uh, you know, the number of employees that are Asian American versus the number of uh, management or senior leaders in, that are Asian American are uh, underrepresented. And so, um, uh, and, and, and I do think that people understand that there's no room, no place for hate in our society. And in a society, especially in tech, that requires talent, that requires the best ideas and the best innovation of people's um, uh, productivity, uh, having hate overhang as something that could disrupt and, um, and deter is something very serious. So I do think people are very engaged right now, and we're trying to use that energy Tracy, to really um, create something that is a lot more permanent rather than, uh, you know, sort of a reaction or episodal. We do think this needs to be something that um, people bake into their corporate plans and in corporate engagement with their employees and corporate engagement with their customers. Right. And a lot of that work had already started last summer after George Floyd was killed. Obviously, that was not anything new in America, but there was this sudden uprising and um, vocal support from the corporate world to change the systems and not just um, hopefully be a fly-by-night type of effort. I was wondering, Jerry, are there any lessons to be drawn from Black executives who've taken these strong stands against systemic racism, such as what Ken Cheneau and Ken Frazier have already spearheaded with voting rights? Yeah, you know, we're obviously familiar with uh, their work. In fact, Ken Fraser has been a supporter of TAF and, um, you know, he uh, uh, really believes in allyship uh, across our communities. Um, it's something that we take very seriously as well as we, um, uh, and, and someone can talk about this, but we've communicated very deeply and, and frequently with 
other minority groups and minority ethnic groups about um, learning from each other. I, I think one of the key learnings is that um, that we need to make sure that there is opportunities and access for uh, people of color across the board. Um, and, uh, and, and that it's a end-to-end -end kind of development rather than, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, spot, you know, sort of spot programs. And Tracy, I would say given the diversity of the Asian diaspora in the United States, there is um, a lot of different challenges of uh, addressing people's needs in companies um, because, uh, you know, somebody who is born here who's in their 20s versus somebody who's immigrated from a different part of the world um, face very different challenges. So I think um, as we learn from broader organizations like um, uh, what Ken, the both Kens have done to specifically towards Asian Americans, I think we need to really also understand what customization are needed to make it work for our community. That's great. I wanna go back to the subject of education, which you already touched on, Jerry, given that it is a key focus for the foundation. I remember as a kid growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area, we learned California history in fourth grade, but it was all about Spanish missionaries. And we, we went to Spanish, we went to missions for field trips and we had to build clay missions. But I did not learn in elementary school about Asian American history that has been so integral to not only California history, but that of our country. So Sonal, how does the Asian American Foundation plan to increase the emphasis on AAPI history in our education system and are you concerned about any pushback? Yeah, Tracy, that's a great question. And thanks for thanks for uh, talking about education. It's so important. Uh, and California is a great example. Uh, most recently, there was legislation that was passed by the California legislature to ensure that history of people of color is included in the education system. And we've been funding a project called the Asian American Education Project to actually build curriculum for Asian about the Asian American history to, put, to participate and to be a part of the curriculum of American history uh, in, in California, especially and that's important because what happens in California happens in large parts of the other uh, other parts of the country. There's also legislation passing through Illinois to allow for the same thing, and we're going to expand our programming to make sure that the curriculum also gets to um, uh, gets to the schools in in Illinois. But that's but that's just one piece of it. We have to look at college education and how Asian American history is part of college education. It's why the PBS documentary was so critical in in really educating about the Asian American experiences in the United States and the history of Asian Americans in the United States. But we also look, need to talk to textbook publishers and we need to talk to narrative change. We have to talk to the media about how do we change the narrative about education and, and who the Asian American community is. So it's one piece uh, is, is curriculum, but the other is really looking at the broader ecosystem. Yeah, I was appalled when I was writing about reparations last year, and I a big part of the story was about Japanese American internment and how they received reparations. And a lot of people didn't even realize that happened in our country, like people who were just a generation removed from it. It's um, shocking to me. But the rise in attacks against Asian Americans have been occurring throughout this past year. Media attention, though, has only recently begun to focus on them. Jerry, do you see the Atlanta attacks as an inflection point? And could this moment unite the sprawling and diverse Asian American community? Yeah, you know, I, I, it, 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 it's something that when we started on the American Asian American Foundation almost a year ago, something that we we really felt was uh, going to be a, a a reason for the communities to come together and unite. Um, one of the projects we started was to track hate 
incidents um, through the internet. It's, it's something that uh, I know something about. And so we were <laughs> able to um, look at Twitter incidents and Twitter tweets. Um, and, um, and, 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 and we, we've tracked it since, you know, early last year, 2020 through now, and we've seen over 5,000, nearly 6,000 tweets that, um, that we, we think are, are related to anti-Asian hate. And, um, and, and in fact, we, we published our, our visualization website today, um, called Decoding Hate. And, um, and it's, it's fascinating to kind of see it, um, and, and then we also correlate that with news reports. And as you say, the news reports have, have increased, um, uh, but, but it doesn't really tell the whole story. Um, part of it, unfortunately, is as these incidents become more serious, whether it's more violence, more assaults, more random um, against elders, for example, the news carry that. But um, if you look at the trend line, um, uh, there has been a lot of incidents, um, and, and unfortunately, they're increasing in severity. And so I, I do think that it's a uniting factor. I do think when something like Atlanta happens in our community, um, it's a wake-up call. And it is a wake-up call because uh, it, it, um, it really puts a, shines a light on the most vulnerable. It's people that don't have protection, that don't have the help, um, don't have recourse in many cases, that are the victims. And you know, a lot of people ask me, it's like, why is there all this violence? Um, and, and I think you know, it stems from the fact that um, you know, a year ago, as Sono mentioned, that there, the, uh, the Anti-Defamation League came to us and says, you know, we're seeing a rise in hate speech about Asians. Um, and their projection back then was once you have speech, then it, it gives, you know, once hate speech is normalized in our society, it evolves into incidents and then evolves into more serious assaults and incidents. And we're kind of seeing that happen play out, unfortunately. So, um, so we're, we're really wanting to make sure we track it. We want to make sure we understand it. Obviously, there's a huge prevention, both in terms of bystander um, uh, education, but also more seriously, how do we help the victims? Uh, but just understanding where it's all happening, what kind of things are happening, how do we keep a pulse on it is so important. And, and other organizations like, um, you know, AAJC, Stop AAPI Hate, uh, other surveys have all kind of, you know, sort of cor corroborated and correlated this rise in incidents because uh, even though our methodologies are different, the stories are largely the same. It's, um, uh, you know, it's happening to more women than men, it's happening to elderly, it's happening in businesses. Um, and these are, I wouldn't say necessarily, um, they're, 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 they're isolated incidents across the United States, but they're, they're rising in number. Um, but going back to history, there are obviously other systemic uh, kinds of uh, discrimination against Asians, uh, everything from property, you know, you can't own property rights uh, as, as Asians for many, many decades. And so, um, and, and, and so we're just really trying to get a sense uh, of the, what's happening on the ground. Um, That's right. And we tend to do this longitudinally, Tracy. We, we tend to do this for, for, for as long as we can rather than just do it this year or next year. Um, that's fantastic. It is something that's going to continue. Because words matter, as you mentioned, and data matters. We need data as evidence to people that there is, in fact, hate crime happening. Um, Sonal, we've spoken about the underinvestment in the AAPI community. But many Americans were shocked, even resistant to the idea that Asian Americans even face racism in this country, partly because we don't do a good job educating um, Americans about American history. We've been largely missing from many important conversations facing other communities, systemic bias in the workplace, 
political activism, immigration reform. Where do you want to see this new momentum going? So I think we'd like to see it in many places, Tracy, and I think it's important that um, one, as Jerry mentioned, making sure that the data about hate is actually consistent. It's it's longitudinal. It's not just during the moments of sporadic, uh, you know, not just sporadic, but not only in moments at 9-11 or in 1982, but we're collecting it on a regular basis. So we actually know what's happening in our community. So that's one. And hate is going to be a very important part. So tracking it, responding to it and preventing it and knowing how to prevent it. So investing in that, investing in data about our communities, making sure we know where the gaps are. We know and we're letting policymakers know. We're letting foundations know where the gaps in, in investments are and making sure we're a part of that uh, conversation. Media, making sure we're talking to the media about how Asian Americans are portrayed, um, both in in uh, you know in, in in live media, but also in thinking about you know movies and other places. How are we portrayed in TV shows? Making sure that we're there in that, and then finally uh, making sure we're convening people and letting people know that we exist as a community. We are we are here. We're 23 million strong. We're not you know we're seven percent of the population, 23 million strong. It's actually very important that people know who we are. So we need to make all of those investments mm -hmm. and we want to make sure data research um, you know hate anti-hate is a very big part of everything that we do and people know who we are and what we're doing right not only do we exist as a community we are a very diverse community the Asian American community has the widest and fastest growing income divide among all racial groups in the United States Jerry when I was a tour guide as an undergraduate at Stanford you were one of those names that I used to talk about who stopped out to start companies when I was walking backwards through Terman engineering quad <laughs> How does the success of affluent Asian Americans such as yourself obscure the plight of the least fortunate and also perpetuate the model minority myth? Well, um, you, you would have been proud of me. I, I, I used to um, put books away in the Terman Engineering Libraries back when they you still do, did that. And um, <laughs> back when and, books were a thing. And you know, I mean, uh, being being an entrepreneur and being self-made, I, I think I have a direct connection with where I came from and, and where I am now. But you know, I came from East San Jose. I grew up in East San Jose, and today it's still a, um, a a community where there's a lot of good things happening there, and there's still a lot of bad things happening there. And so, I I just think that um, uh, you know the 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 understanding of um, Asian American community in the United States is. Uh, is is very low, meaning not only do the rest of the country don't really understand what Asian American PI community means or who they are and how are they organized or not or, or demographics or social demographics, or uh, uh, but I, I think even um, Asian Americans don't really know. Um, you know, we we we've always lived in our own communities in many ways, depending on our culture, um, and um, and we we generally not discussed any of our community's problems with with related communities uh, from other ethnic groups. And I think that has to change. I think we have to come together as a broader community. We have to put out um, where uh, we're doing well. And as you said, you know, socioeconomically, the Asians are um, uh, overachievers on the best, on the high end. Um, but we also have one of the highest poverty and and, and, and the lowest incomes in the, on the lower on the lower end. Um, uh, there are there are problems in our community, whether it's domestic violence or, um, you know, accessibility issues because of language. So many of our communities 
um, just choose not to get involved or not take advantage of what the society has to offer because of language. Um, and so this idea of finding belonging and prosperity for everyone in our Asian American Pacific Islander community is a, is a core mission of the Asian American Foundation that we intend to do. And, um, and, and, and look, I mean, I think the reality is it doesn't matter which rung of the socioeconomic ladder you're on. When you're afraid to go out and walk in the streets, um, uh, you know, that, that really unites everybody in terms of, and if you look at the surveys that have been recently, you know, 45% of Asian American adults uh, have suffered one of the five incidents that people um, uh, are deemed as, as anti-Asian. So it's, 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 it's out there. And I think that's, that's where we need to look at us as a community as a whole, as Sono said, and, and really be able to say, look, we, we do have great people that have done well, but we also have a lot of people that are not um, uh, living the American dream. And, and we, need to, we need to do something about that. Jerry, are, are you afraid to go out and walk in the streets? Have you felt that in the last year? You know, I, yeah, I, look, I, 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 I was in New York um, and, uh, you know, you think twice about it. And, and I, I um, my mom, who's 80, you know, she has, a, she has, I gave her a walking stick and she's, that's not going to do any good. I, I, she has a mace and uh, she picks her time to go to the market. Um, so I, I, I do think people think about it. And it's, it's interesting because I, I think to your point about, um, other races, you know, in conversation with my African-American friends, you know, they, they learn how to deal with certain situations from a very young age. And I think we're having that conversation now, unfortunately, is me with my mother. Absolutely. Um, the three of us belong to immigrant families. We've seen these viral videos of our elders being attacked as they go about living their everyday lives. You know, from the San Francisco Bay Area, as I mentioned, where many of these attacks are happening and my parents still have a home there, but I've urged them to remain in Taiwan this past year, frankly, because I'm reassured that they're safer there, both from the coronavirus as well as this rise in anti-Asian sentiment. Um, I was going to ask, other, other than your mom, has anyone you know changed how they're living their lives as a result of the environment we're in today? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, um you know, it certainly is the case that everybody with a, a, a parent uh, of, you know, call it sort of senior parent, and um, there is a lot of discussions going on, whether it's online or um, resources. Um, and and I, I do think that it's, um, uh, you know, it's the randomness that really uh, is shocking. Um, and, and, and look, we, we, we understand the nuances about calling it hate crime or not. Uh, when, when two women waiting for a bus in San Francisco last week was stabbed from the back, you know, they claim that, of course, it, it, may, it may not have been racially motivated because it was from the back. But, I, I, you know, but for, for common sense, for people who really are just um, going about them and waiting for a bus, that, that's not acceptable. And it's not only not acceptable, it's, 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 it's a terrible thing to happen. And so I, I just, I just think, um, you know, we hear stories from very well-to-do professionals that are, are, uh, on a train from DC to, um, New York, who's Korean, who three teenagers went up to them. We hear about bullying incidents in, in schools in LA. We hear about Upper East Side, you know, very well-to-do Asian um, women get spit on. It, it's 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 all anecdotes, 
And this is part of the reason why we decided to track it as a, a data initiative. And we're a long ways from being completely accurate and, and, and the methodology needs to be worked out. But, um, but these anecdotes are alarming and we need to make sure we understand what is happening. Mm -hmm. Sonal, how has COVID reinforced a sentiment so many Asian Americans navigate, that of being made to feel like a perpetual outsider? Yeah, and, and Tracy, I just want to add one thing to Jerry's points, which I think is so important. Uh, these incidents that Jerry's talking about, almost 60, 65% of them are all happening in public spaces. So it's not just in, in you know, small, isolated places, it's in public spaces. So that's also why the randomness is scary, uh, because you don't know if you go to a park, if you go to a store, if you're in a business, that that happens. Um, and COVID hasn't helped, right? Because, you know, we're seen as perpetual foreigners in this country. So we're convenient Americans when we need to be, uh, but we're seen as outsiders when there's an international, uh, when COVID happens or when something happens in India or other things. And, and really, we have to remember that we are American. We are part of the American story. We are in the American story. We are writing the American story, but we're not perpetual foreigners. We are contributing to the United States. Our children go to schools here. We are part of the society of our communities. And, and really remembering that, you know, when you see Asian Americans, don't see them as external to the United States. They are part of the United States. And the last survey I think that Launch uh, uh, did showed that 25% of Americans think that Asian Americans are more loyal to their country of origin. And I, I you know, or wherever they, where, where they came from, which is unbelievable because we are here and we are participating in the United States. And that's such a dangerous sentiment, as we've seen in our history. Um, Jerry, is any of this changing for the next generation of Asian Americans? It's such a big part of why we started TAF is for the next generation. I think if you look at the 23 million that we talked about, uh, we're still one of the fastest growing um, groups of the API community in, in America, but we're also shifting. Uh, we're, we're going to become more uh, native-born Asian Americans than immigrant Asian Americans. And, and I think as you think about people who are born here, um, whether they're my kids or, you know, many, many younger generations, um, this is their home and there's, there's no other place to go. And, and I think, um, uh, I think that is, that is one of the big reasons that we feel, um, not only we need to, uh, build something that protects us against hate on the, in the long term. Uh, but also really, um, as Sono said so well, really uh, talk about the positives of belonging and the, and the positives of what Asian Americans have done for this country. Um, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll be, TAF will be part of a uh, effort to, um, uh, to, to highlight the positives that the Asian American uh, community have, have contributed to American life uh, through this campaign called Hashtag See Us United. Um, that'll be coming out in the next few weeks. But, you know, we, we really can't just talk about hate as 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 the only thing that, that unites us. I think we have to also right. talk about belonging and prosperity um, and that fairness. And I think we need to do both of them in a way that really um, has the next generation in mind. Right. Last question, because we are almost out of time. The CDC just changed its guidance on masking for people who are vaccinated. Um, I know there are mixed feelings about that, especially among Asian Americans who fear that by fully revealing their faces, they can make themselves further attacks, further targets for attacks. And at the same time, these people also feel vulnerable for standing out by wearing a mask. 
Are there occasions where you will continue to mask? And do you personally feel vulnerable to attack, Sonal and Jerry? Sonal first. <laughs> well, Tracy, I think this is, uh, it's so important and it's so sad that we actually have to have this conversation to say, you know, when you take off your mask, you should be afraid because in essence, take, being able to take off our mask, being able to hug our families, being able to be with our families and our uh, parents and our grandparents, it shouldn't be scary. But the fact that it is, is actually what's sad about the whole conversation about this. Um, I think we should all follow the rules and follow the science as it's coming out. But I also think, and I would say for all of us, is rather than be a bystander when you see something happening, make sure we understand how to help, make sure we're participating in helping others when we see hate incidents happen, uh, whether it's in, you know, to the Black community, to the Latino community, to the Asian American community. It's critical that we not just be a bystander, because if we want to see America that is multicultural, we have to participate in it and be a part of it. Gary? I, I, you know, I, I think we have to be more empathetic and we have to be more um, accepting of what people want to do. And uh, to me, if somebody wants to wear a mask, um, th th there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. And and of course, uh, if you don't wear a mask, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be penalized or, or be scared. And um, but, but I, I think, like Sono says, you know, the fact that we're even talking about this. Um, means that we're still living in a society that is not empathetic, that is not um, respectful of others, and that is not accepting of others' choices. And um, we have to get past that. And mask wearing is just one of many issues that I think will come up. So I, I do hope the dialogue and I do hope the communication and awareness building does create um, communication that that uh, that lets some of these issues, at least we talk about it. And 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 um, and hopefully it, it goes to become the society that we think we all can be. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much, Sonal and Jerry, for coming on with us, watching those live, and for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you. Thank you for this conversation. And thank you, audience members, for joining us. Next Thursday, join Washington Post Live for the next in our series, marking AAPI Heritage Month with Kelly Marie Tran. She's the star of Disney's animated film, Raya and the Last Dragon. I'm Tracy Jan, and thank you for watching Washington Post Live. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.